Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Now, We're back, baby. It's the charity shop that you free throws because they are free. Fisher to Southwest Snacks. Ryder is Monday, June 5th. Gentlemen, Miami Heat deep into the series. Had one apiece. The NBA Finals. Everyone was chalking it up as a gentleman's sweep. But here we sit. Jimmy Butler. them, Or should I dare I say, Gabe Vincent. And the Miami Heat, Duncan Robinson, the Miami Heat, Bam Adebayo, and the Miami Heat, Eric Spolstra, the Miami Heat. Even the series in Denver, they go back home court, flips to Miami's favor. Uh, what are your guys' takeaways? Did people panic a little too early in the Miami Heat? Did or or is it you know Miami gets one and Denver kind of shapes up? Well, I mean, I think early on, I even said last week that I thought this was going to go six or seven games, so I'm not surprised at all. Mm. I mean, they've they've handled every single test that's in front of them. I mean, they beat a really good Celtics team. Um, they're an eight seed, but they took care of business in all the series that they played. So, yes, the Nuggets have been great all season long, but, you know, it's seven games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Lost. the gentleman's sweep is technically still viable. If you, <laughs> you want to go that route, you can, you can talk about that too. Um these teams both won their respective conferences like Nick is uh, getting at here. They're the two best teams in the West and the East. They both belong in the finals. And now we know that we're going to get a real series out of this. And game one was dominant by the Nuggets and their offense really came to play and everyone got involved. Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the NBA in my opinion, he's probably currently operating as the best head coach in the NBA and he made adjustments and the guys executed it on the floor and they were able to outgrit the nuggets. And Mike Malone uh, was criticizing his team for um, the mental lapses, not being prepared, not, I don't think he, he didn't say in, in these words, like taking it seriously, but he, you know, reiterated it's the finals and you have to show up every single game, every single play. And I felt like the heat were present and focused in this game in a way that the nuggets were not. And, um, you know, you saw Eric Spolstra, sh- he, he kind of shot down the notion, uh, in that question that Ramona Shelburne asked him in the post game, uh, saying, you know, like, like it's not as simple as us forcing Jokic to be a scorer, like that's not giving this guy enough credit. He's the best player on the planet and was noted to be the best player on the planet by the rest of the league for two out of the last three years. But what I did think that this Miami heat team did in comparison to game one is that they made him work really, really hard on both ends. They took it to him. Um, They pushed tempo more, which they didn't do. They were getting back on the break defensively in the first game, but they weren't on the fast break themselves very often. 
They attacked him. They implored multiple different styles of antics, like I had been asking them to, with Lowry, with with Love. You even saw Love getting into it. Um, Bam was a little bit more aggressive going to the hoop. And they bodied him more. And I thought they just made him work so that by the time you got to the fourth quarter and after some good shooting at the end of the third and early in the fourth, they had a lead. And Jokic, I felt like, didn't have as much in the tank as he did in game one where he got into the fourth quarter and everything was as easy as it had been in the first quarter for him. Mm-hmm. And it, not to say that I, I'm not, I'm not, not bringing present like the internet arguments of, Oh, he's out of shape and he's not an in shape superstar. None, none of that. It, it's just, these games are taxing. These guys have played long playoffs and any sort of edge you can get from a physicality standpoint, um, is, is worth it. And it's worth being explored. And like you mentioned, Josh, it wasn't necessarily Butler. I mean, Butler had a good game, I thought, although he didn't shoot tremendously. But Bam had, once again, you know, we, we keep saying, like, oh, he's not a superstar. The last two games, he's played like a superstar. Um, and he's going to have to continue to play like that for the rest of the playoffs if the Miami Heat want to win this. Struess had a terrible game in game one, but he turned it around and was excellent in the first half. And Duncan Robinson, uh, you know, continues to make plays, and you understand why the he were kind of entrapped into into paying him what they paid him because in any given moment he's an excellent catch and shoot guy and he's an excellent cutter and he finished well in this game gave Vincent to me you met you mentioned like that's the that's the story right now but that's what they're built upon it's one of the all they need is one of those guys to really go off Bam and Butler have you know good solid 20 point games which they did they really need one of those other guys to go off and, and follow suit and just have another 20 point game to go along with it. And then everyone else to play quite nicely, which honestly, like, yeah, Struess wasn't amazing, but instead of O of nine or O of eight or whatever he was from three, he was four of 10. Duncan Robinson had 10 points off the bench. Uh, Lowry in the fourth had, quarter, all in the, all in the fourth quarter. quarter. Uh, a massive thing we saw in game one, they went to the line twice. This time they went 20 times. That's the difference. Like they attacked him. They got to the line uh, with Denver. It's Jokic shot got at 41 points on, on good shooting. So to me, I mean, it's yes, he wasn't facilitating and getting the rest of his teammates involved. Uh, and that maybe, you know, shines a bit of a light on there are the rest of the guys to go out and get theirs uh, and, and their dependency on him to kind of create for them at times. Um, but I, I don't want to put the onus on, Oh, they're zero and three when he scores 40 points. Uh, he went out and had an awesome game. He got slowed down a bit in the fourth quarter. He's not an out of shape superstar, but we've praised him in the past for conserving his energy and, and managing his energy and managing his efforts and kind of facilitating at the start of games and then coming in later in the games and scoring a lot of his points and getting some buckets at the end of the game by getting in, getting into foul trouble, getting the other team into foul trouble, I should say, getting to the line. Here, call for him to score early. Had Jokic come in and he had he'd gone nine of 28, eight of 28, I would be like, okay, like the, him trying to become the scorer, uh, that's a problem for the Denver Nuggets. He does need to be the facilitator, but he won 16 of 28, won seven, eight from the line. Like the guy had 41 points. You really can't ask for much more out of your superstar from a 41 point, 11 board, four assist game. He was pretty nice, in my opinion. And, and yeah, he was, as, he was, he was great. He's the best player on the court, but I do think that from a game plan perspective, like this gives you the best shot and it's not anything that's 
of beating this Nuggets team. And it's not a like, it's not a crazy hypothesis. It's not something that no one has ever thought of before. Like we say it almost every single year when we're talking about, you know, whichever team we deem to be the, the, the better uh, put together roster and having better players is make the other guys beat you. And I think what forcing him to have to take tough shots, which they did, he shot really, really well, but he had to work a lot harder. I felt like this game than he did last game um, to hit those buckets, which again, just goes to my earlier point of like wearing him down over the, the entirety of the game. I also thought that the looks that the other guys had were not as quality as they were in the first game. Mm. And to me, that's the most you can do. These guys are all incredible shooters in the NBA. I mean, you go watch an NBA warm up, you know, 15 years ago, I used to watch Shaquille O'Neal when he would come to town in Dallas and he would hit like 33s in a row, you know, 30 minutes before the game. And then the way that he's talked about is like, oh, Shaquille O'Neal is a terrible shooter. It's like, <clears throat> yes, in the context, from the three-point line in the context of the rest of the NBA, okay, maybe, but all of these guys are so, so talented um, and they work so much on their craft. Michael Porter Jr. could walk into a, a gym today and hit 100 threes in a row. I, I truly believe that. But it, it, as much as you can make someone uncomfortable, I think that the Heat did that and have been doing that to teams the entire playoffs. Um, and this is just another example of when Jokic can't be the primary facilitator and, and generate offense for this team, generate for others, Jamal Murray... <laughs> has to step up and do some of that playmaking and creating. He's such he a, had, he had a double double. He did have a double double, but I think what I miss from him in a comparison to guys like, and this was circulating a lot on like NBA Twitter last night. And, and I, I want to think more about it, but you know, they were like, who would you take between <laughs> Trey young, Jalen Brunson, Darren Fox and Jamal Murray. And you know, a lot of people were saying, well, I would take, all of those guys over Jamal Murray because Jamal Murray pays the Jokic tax and he is elevated that much more by Nikola Jokic, which is true, I think. But I also think the, those other guys have had the opportunity to be the number one ball handler, shot maker, playmaker on their team in a way that Jamal Murray. Who was the first guy you listed? Sorry. Brunson, Fox, Brunson, Trey Young, Trey Young, and De'Aaron Fox. I, I think that I think that though they've Murray, all been the primary engine of their offense. Yeah, but I think that Murray also, yes, he pays the Jokic tax, but I also think that he's those guys maybe best suited for Jokic. I completely you agree. That, you, you can make I, that I argument think, that if, he, if the, the other three were there, they wouldn't be as suited for Jokic. Yeah, I also think they kind of play different positions. He's more he's of a, a combo guard. He's more of a he's more of a two in a lot of ways than those guys are. <laughs> more true ones. I know but he, he kind of came up. in that. He kind of came in like that. I know he, he was listed as no, a, no, you're, you, you're he right. was listed as a point guard, but when he was coming out, we were like, all right, this is like a one, a one, two, like, you know what I'm saying? Like really, really good catch and shoot guy. That's what he kind of came out as. It's not like do a little De'Aaron, bit more. Yeah. It's not like De'Aaron who like De'Aaron Fox, Jalen Brunson, Trey young. Those guys are point guards. Trey Young, I believe, led the led the NCAA in assists. De'Aaron Fox yeah. was a, was the one to Malik Monk's two. You know, Jalen Brunson was the bona fide one for a number of years in Villanova. Like these guys are purebred point guards coming out of college, but Jamal Murray like didn't necessarily have that distinction. So I don't, I actually don't know if that's a fair classification for him to receive that, receive that. Uh, and maybe that is a glaring issue for. 
the nuggets that he is listed, you know, as their and and it is rolling rolled out as their point guard, but really their point guard is their point center. You know, he right. the it's, it's Jokic is their point guard. And when Yeah, you, I I just felt like you know, I make my power rankings and they're aggregate after every game. And he was he look, <laughs> Jokic, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, and Jamal Murray are the four best players in this series. Yes. And it goes Jokic, Butler, and Murray and Bam are a toss-up. Right now, Bam is considerably outplaying not only Jimmy Butler, but also Jamal Murray. And in my opinion, Jamal Murray is having a worse series, two games, so not a massive sample size, than Gabe Vincent right now who is averaging only one point less, but he is shooting 58% from the field. He has, he has 15 for 26 from the field. And Jamal Murray is shooting sub 46% on 38 shots. The efficiency that Gabe Vincent is providing, who also has the best plus minus of any player, he was, the, he was even in game one in that loss. He was plus 22. When that guy is on the court, he is making the right play every single time, and he is converting on every single opportunity. Even in game one, he hit a bunch of clutch threes to kind of keep them in that game or at least keep them within striking distance. They never mm-hmm. really got back in it. Um, and I just don't feel like Murray has had enough of an imprint in my mind in game one and in game two. He had the opportunity to take it to OT with that three-pointer. And I'm not really talking about that. That's not my criticism. We could talk about the timeout or the lack of timeout there. Um, but I thought it was a pretty quality look sure. from a really good shooter who makes those tough shots all the time. And Jimmy Butler said it in his post game too. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad I'm just glad he didn't make it. I tried to contest it as best as I could. Shot didn't fall, and we we move on one one. But yeah, but I, I think I I'm like less concerned with Jamal Murray. I'm more concerned with Contavious Caldwell Pope, foul trouble, fouling out, him not shooting well in the first two games. Michael Porter Jr. going seven of twenty four in the first two games at home in Denver. Like. Like I know I've been giving MPJ a lot of flack in this our amp show. We've been talking about him a lot. But when push comes to shove, like I, and this is not me calling for the trade win or lose. This is me just simply saying, like, he's a $200 million player. Like, you got to play like that. You're a $200 million guy. You can't be going seven of 24 from the first two games. Yeah. Yeah. And now the Heat get Tyler Harrow back. So we'll see how he gets integrated back into their offense. Shout out Kevin Love because he was, he was crucial. Shout out Kyle and Kyle Lowry. Yeah. Well, right. But I just think that, having Kevin Love out there absolutely mitigated what they were able to do in the first half in game one where Aaron Gordon had 14 points in the first mm. half and all within two feet of the hoop. Yeah. And Kevin Love just... is a, he's 6'10". He's a big body. He knows where to be. Charge King. Really, yeah. Yeah. It took a, took a timely early charge there. So this is a real series. This is a lot of fun now, I think. And uh, yeah. unfortunately today's NBA news kind of took a hard pivot from the finals in, in game three to LeBron James going yeah. to your hometown Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Isn't that, I think it's actually awesome that everyone was anticipating Kyrie to be recruited to the Lakers. And now we woke up to NBA Twitter with Kyrie. I'm actually about it. Kyrie recruiting LeBron to the Mavs. Is that even, is it even plausible? Do you even have, it's, te- it's possible. We have the money to make the trade. Um, we have the player contracts, I should say, rather to to make that trade, and we'd obviously have to give up some amount of draft capital, and you know the, I guess the the devil's advocate of making that trade would be, do you want this guy at his age 
and you're sacrificing a lot of the potential depth that you could put around Kyrie and Luca. I want to make it very clear that we don't currently have that depth. So, <laughs> but you know, we would have to move off players like green would be gone. Uh, so a young wing Hardy would be gone. I would imagine. So a young guard who showed a lot of promise last year the tenth um, pick. and the 10th pick certainly would be in that, in that package. Um, and likely Kleba, who's a stretch four, who is a versatile defender and probably Hardaway Jr. too, who's a spot-up shooter who's making less than 20 mil and at times has been over 15 points per game. So not a bad contract for that guy, um, in, in my opinion. But then you would have Kyrie, Luca, and, and LeBron. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy hypothesis. It's, it, Shams was the one that you know, put out the tweet so we'll see. It could just be a clutch play. Like, let's be honest. It could be a renegotiating tactic for the Lakers uh, or for the clutch rather to, to make sure that LeBron gets what he wants in Los Angeles. Um, but it's a, it's a quick way to just sweep the rug from a, from a content media standpoint on what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very, very interesting to say the least. I, I, I mean, I there's no, I just don't. You're, if you're the Lakers, there's no players they have on that roster outside of Kyrie and Luca that you can get back in a trade that you'd be like, okay, this is this is worthwhile to me. Would you guys immediately root against the Mavs if that trade happened? No, I'd root for the Mavs. Really? Yeah, I'd want LeBron to win in Dallas. I want LeBron. I want LeBron to win everywhere he goes. I always root for LeBron James, except it's, unless it's against the Celtics. We would become a pretty. There would be a lot of animosity towards our team. There already, there already, there already, is, there already is, dude. Nobody likes y'all. There already is. Nobody like. No one just, just. It's not the same Mavs team that we used to love with Dirk. You know what I'm saying? I root for you. I root for the Mavs because it's you. But I don't root for the. They're just like not outside of Luca. Like there's nothing sexy about them. It's, this is just objectively my opinion. Like you know. No, no, no. no. Kyrie, Kyrie's polarizing. I agree with that. Before Kyrie, it was more just like what you're talking about. Okay, Luca's a fun young superstar, but like, how seriously are we going to take this team, or how much does like the general public really care whether they win or lose? Probably not too much. But I do think the general public will have a certain level of disdain that's amplified even more if LeBron James joins and he's Kyrie a, and he's a maps. he's a fun young superstar. If you'd love basketball. <laughs> If you're not like a huge basketball guy, like, and you don't love his, you don't really watch his games, and you're just looking at him from a swag standpoint, like, there's other young superstars. There are there are other young superstars who are more appealing than him. So, like, even unless you're real, like, unless you're a real serious hoophead, like, I don't, yeah, I, I think that LeBron to Dallas would be awesome. It'd be epic. It'd be it'd be a, it'd be an absolute blast. I'm pulling for it. I I'm done. I'm done with him in Los Angeles. I want to see him go for. Go for it somewhere else. Four teams, four titles would be amazing. <coughs> would be amazing to watch. Uh, speaking of amazing to watch, let's kick it over to the diamond, shall we, fellas? I got to watch somebody quite amazing um, uh, this past Saturday. He hit a ball over the left field fence. He ran through a wall to catch the ball on the right field fence. I mean, as the days go on, it pains me to say I think Aaron Judge is outside of Shohei Otani, and this is only because he does it. <laughs> at the dish and on the mound, Aaron Judge is the best player in baseball, hands down, toes down, no question to me. Yeah, it's proven that. How loud were the boos? Not loud at all. There's MVP chance. 
Really? There's probably a lot of Yankees fans there. A lot of Yankee fans there. It was the it was the biggest crowd of a Dodgers game of the season. I mean, it's the it's the evil empire, dude. I'm surrounded like a lot of my the people I'm surrounded by are Yankees fans. I went with two two out of the four people we went with were Yankees fans. So there's a lot of just Yankees around and people. I think one of the one of the best parts about baseball is the that they've made the big plays such a spectacle. Um, so I think the oohs and ahs also of him like crut dude, he sent that ball, the ball came in, it came out. Him running through the wall, it rose everybody out of their out of their seats. What he does from a spectacle standpoint, it overshoots the booze. You can't boo. You can't boo a guy running through the wall. You can't boo a guy hitting his 19th home run of the season when he's yeah. missed a lot, when he's missed a few games and had an unbelievable coming off an unbelievable May. I think he's also somewhat of a likable player. Very. Opposed to the guys who usually get the boos when, you know, you see Bryce Harper, you see Manny Machado, you know, like of course now it's not Tatis, but like for other reasons, um, you know, the superstars get boos because they're good. Right. And they're on good teams. I don't think Shohei gets a boo. I think like it's an anomaly. I don't know if Trout. But that goes to what I'm saying. I think exactly. Both those guys don't get boos because they're spectacles. Right. I think both those guys. I think the polar bear maybe could get a boo here or there because he's a bit more brazen. Like I mean, he's getting he's getting he's getting booed in Boston, but that's. He should judge, be in Boston. Yeah, judging a yeah. in Boston. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, I, the Yankee faithful will, will show up stronger and stronger every time for him. Um, and, and that Yankee team, what the craziest part about what the Yankees did is they had a really good West Coast stand. Uh, they, they won two in a row. They, they took the series against the Dodgers. They're still two back from the O's and the Rays. And, and, for, and so, sorry, two back from the O's, six back from the Rays. It's pretty remarkable to lead the the Rays are amassing uh, in, in the AL East and the Orioles, honestly, for that matter. That was awesome. The, your Rangers toss scored 30 runs against the Mariners this weekend. And that's I mean, the- honest, honestly, that they had, that's kind of the, where it ended up with 30 was kind of embarrassing for them, given how it started with 28 through two games. Yeah. Or yeah. It's yeah. finished with finished with 28. Finish with oh yeah 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 so it's the first game that right yes but what what this team can can do with their bats um, they have I think more five five plus run innings than any other team in the MLB by at least um, they've done that at least five times more than any other team so mm-hmm. they're having just in, enormous innings where guys are getting on base they're converting. Um, I think ultimately that's what it, it keeps coming down to for this team is these guys are just clutch hitters and they get guys on and they, they convert every single time they the lob is not there with this squad. And that's what it takes to, uh, to put runs on the board. And they're just, they're firing on all cylinders. Mitch Garver first game back hits a home run. Yeah. I mean, you probably, it's, it's just everybody the, to pitch around that lineup right now is brutal with the way everyone's hitting. I also think that something that has not been talked about a lot. Someone who's not getting a lot of praise who probably should, and some people probably are, but Bruce Bochy coming in, you know, out of retirement, you know, 
people probably thought that there was some dust still on him and could he come back and, and, you know, manage a team like this. And it just goes to show that he can transform any roster because he took a bunch of mediocre giants teams, in my opinion, to the world series, to the postseason, time and time again, they weren't, I don't think they were the best team every single year, but they got it done. You know, they, they weren't the sexiest team. Um, he had some good teams, but he's just a one-of-a-kind manager who gets the most out of every single player. He did the same thing in San Diego. Those San Diego teams back in the day weren't anything that crazy, you know, and he got the he got them to the playoffs multiple times. I and mean, he took the Padres to the World Series in 98. Like, it's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pulled it up, Nick, because, I, I mean, I think that's great to give him his praise. I saw, I saw a video giving him praise the other day, uh, and, and you talked about maximizing opportunity, maximizing his players. The first World Series he won with the Giants, they won 92 games. The second one, they won 94. The third, they won 88. I mean, I and I, I think I, were they the wild, they might have been the wild card in all of them, I think. I could. I'm. I'm gonna double check us. Um, no, they won the NL West in one of them. Sorry. Just okay. get the most out of your players, right? And and uh, getting to play clutch baseball, like you're saying, all these hitters are clutch. Like when you get to the postseason, like I don't know if there's a manager in baseball that that would rather have. Yeah, you know I mean, he's he's the most seasoned manager in baseball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just to nerd out a little bit on the—I I don't know—I just, I just looked at. I obviously, they had Buster Posey, but Sandoval, you know, Juan Uribe, Aaron Rowan, I mean, and an old Paparell. Like I mean, the pitching was incredible, though. They had great pitching. Yeah, it, I mean, the first one, Bumgarner was young, but yes, yeah, it was. Re- I mean, Lincecum and Kane were good, but it wasn't like—I don't think they won in Lincecum's Cy Young year. No. No, they didn't. I mean, he was he was starting to fall. I mean, yes, Kane was great. Bumgarner became obviously Bumgarner, which will get him into the Hall of Fame. Barry's they had Barry Zito, their first one, which was why. I mean, he was he sucked in San Francisco by and large, but he was solid that year. I mean, yeah, he, he really gets a lot out of there. And then he had uh, you know, the avid Trump supporter Aubrey Huff. Uh, he he gets beard. a lot. The beard. Oh yeah, they did have the goat. Honestly, how could I forget one of the one, you have one of the one of the best closers in baseball that, too. That and Sergio Romo there and Santiago Casilla. I'm I'm looking at their bullpen. Yes, their bullpen was I think Romo has all three rings. I think Wilson has two, maybe three rings with the club. So yes, when you have a formidable bullpen, uh or just one he's just has one ring, Brian Wilson. Uh but when you have a bullpen and a back end that's pretty strong, obviously we've seen that time and time again help. Uh but yes, the jurors piling it on i would probably say in my mvp standings uh marcus simeon's in the top four yeah for sure with franco judge uh probably otani just because yeah i mean yeah you gotta put otani in there he's still yeah. having a little season yeah he's been he, he i mean his his power numbers are just remarkable and his strikeout numbers not pitting pitching are ridiculous <laughs> 71 innings 96 k's just mowing guys down so that's probably right now my fantastic four for mvp with marcus Simeon probably at the four spot i would probably put otani and this is no shake on him because he is the best player uh, i would probably put him at the the three spot 
Aaron Judge at the two and Wander Franco at the one. He'd probably be my MVP. His base, his base stealing has been unbelievable. His defense been fantastic, uh, and he's the best player in the best team, in my opinion. So talking about Wander Franco, yeah, Wander Franco. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I, he's I like, he's I'd leading. Like to, him, like to see him hit more home runs, but yeah, I think he's leading the league in more. I believe I doth believe him and Acuna. I think you could throw Bo Bichette in there too. You could throw, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I could throw Bo Bichette in the top five for sure because the way he's hitting. But I would like to see his team win more. Like that matters. Like unfortunately, like it, 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 if the Rays win, if the Rays win 110 plus games and he's the best player and he leads the league in WAR, like he by and large should win the MVP. Unless Judge goes for sixty plus, unless unless Otani goes for forty like homers and two hundred Ks again, isn't it like a little bit judges to lose here? If I mean, just from the conversation sure. that we started with, and and where he was last year, and they are the Yankees and their team. He's the reigning, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I just, I, it's hard. It's hard not to just have him right back there if he's having nearly as good of a season and in some ways a better season than he was last year outside of the, the home run pace, but, um, which is still yeah. a crazy pace he's at right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's what he's able to do is, is unbelievable. And yeah, the, the yeah. Rays, the Rays are really, really good, but the Rangers are, they're, they're slowly, they're, they're, they're creeping in. They're creeping in They're They've been the best team over the past 20 games. Basically, it's like if you look if you look every ten games for the last like month and a half, they've been the best team in baseball. So if they keep winning at that pace and the Rays continue to kind of come back to earth, like Nick had predicted, um, you know that they they handled May pretty well. I, I I think they're a legit team, obviously, but it's things are evening out a little bit more. I mean, those blue, the Blue Jays are not that far off. They're still a good team. They're five games over five hundred. Like all it takes is for them to get hot over the next fifteen and. You know they're they're the second best team in this division, and they're, you know, three and a half, four and a half games back from the race. Like mm-hmm. it, it's doable. Yeah, and if you know the last thirty game, in the last thirty days, uh, you know, you bring that up and you bring up Judge to go to your point. He's got thirteen home runs in the last thirty days, <laughs> with an OPS of one point three one two, which is <laughs> that's absurd. Which is just ridiculous. Which is, I mean, his slugging's almost his slugging's eight fifty five. JD Martinez and Mookie Betts got ten homers a pop. Shout out to, shout out to a couple X socks uh, in the mix there. Uh, and then your boy uh, Nick, who they moved him down from the leadoff. I like literally the day after I said, "What have, what have, has that been a thought?" They moved him down, and he's putting together a string of great games. But honestly, the, to me, the, the kicker for the Rangers, obviously they had had that gear and they were really firing on all cylinders, but as good as Simeon's been in Nadolis and, and, and low and young and, and all in hot and Jonah Heim, all these guys, the best, the best player. players, Corey best Seager. Player. Yeah. yeah. Corey Seager is the best player on the, on the team and night in and night out, double single, double. He just sprays the ball. All across the diamond, he's he's a joy to watch. He's a hitting machine, and yeah, massive, massive Corey Seager fan. Um, what else do we have on the docket that you guys saw this weekend? Um, I mean, we we were we were text the, the the was it Indiana the college baseball thing? I mean, that was with the chain where the guy ended up getting suspended for a year. Yeah, that was messed up. It's ridiculous. 
I, here's what why I don't get why why button up college sports. These kids are in college, <laughs> you know. We always talk about letting the boys play, but for real, like these guys are college athletes. Let them have a blast. Like if they want to come out and celebrate and throw a chain on, like let them do it. It brings eyes to the sport and it brings joy to the sport. It's not like it's it's college baseball. It's not like there's the viewership is like astronomical. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they probably need a help. Honestly, I I mean I, I just that. don't I just why are people getting suspended for things that are not impacting the game and impacting other people in a negative way? That's the only thing in my mind that should receive a suspension. If they do it in the pros. They have turnover chains. They have the, I mean, the twins have the fishing rod, the some, the cowboy hats, sombreros. Like everyone has like a hat, a vest, a crown, a chain. There's there's stuff all around the MLB. There's stuff all around college football. Like I don't was anyone aware that you couldn't bring it onto the diamond. I think that obviously that was the issue that he brought it out of the dugout. But like, it's stupid, so dumb, and it gives like a negative light to the game because no, look how every, everyone's reactive. Like, what are you doing? There's just so many moments when you clearly see the fun being taken out of sports sometimes. Like when you get to that certain level where it's no longer about having fun. And initially when you start playing sports when you're a kid, it's all about having fun, you know? What do your coaches always say? Like, you know, we didn't get the win here, but did we have fun? You know, like at after like the team meetings, you know, there used to be all the participation trophies because it's all about fun. You know I mean? You could say what you will about participation trophies. Yes, competition is one thing, but it's a game. And the fact that the fun is being taken out of the game, it's pretty annoying. And it's pretty boring, honestly. I think college sports for a long time has really failed to just maximize its growth, but at the same time maximize what it means to play sports. I mean, I think, I feel like there's so many like bylaws and there's so many, so much red tape and there's so much, you know, unwritten rules of college sports that I'm talked about because the NCAA is such a big, bad beast, you know, and mm. we've worked so hard to get players paid for their name, likeness and image. It's not like they're getting salaries, right? I mean, some of these guys are making a lot, a lot more money than they ever did before. But the fact that you, could literally have a guy on the cover of NCAA football or people could wear their jerseys with their name on them or or they could have a, a, a player on NCAA video game and the player can't benefit from that, but the university can. Like those are the little things that the NCAA has always failed to uh, be a, a stand-up organization. And this is just another instance. Yeah, I mean, I can. Alex is signing off here, and we'll see him tomorrow on the Daily Stripe. But to go off your point, Nick, I, I completely, completely agree. I think that the white glove handling of these college athletes on a consistent basis, and these college teams on a consistent basis, you know, I, I don't necessarily like. It's a like think about the college experience we had. And think about how the lack of fun and the lack of connection and the lack of rah-rah, like other than at games, is really fluid between the players and between the sport. And like you don't really see how fun college is a lot of the times. And and maybe in college football they get it, college basketball you get it in March Madness. But college baseball is a really great tournament, and it's 
plodding along and slow moving and it's trying to get there to be within, you know, football and within basketball, but stuff like this, it's like, these guys are just young kids. Don't make them adults. Don't make them pros before they have to be. At the same time, like this is one of the biggest stages that some of those guys will ever play on. For sure. And the fact that they are getting suspended, right. For such a minor thing that doesn't hurt anyone. They weren't cheating. It wasn't anything that was um, supposed to be disrespectful. It wasn't like they were, you know, doing anything against the law. (laughs) The fact that they're taking away a game from someone at this stage. Yeah. College World Series, right? Something that people don't get to do very often. You know, they that team could be going home in a couple of days. It could be the guy's last. Yeah, I didn't look up the age of the kid. It could be his last game. Yeah, literally. So that's poo poo. Yeah, it's it's terrible in my opinion. Uh, or your boy Ari- Back to the uh, the show though. Your boy Arias, who is a guy that you've had a good my uh, good you know magnifying glass. I would say on this season, he has not dropped his batting average. In fact, this past weekend he climbed it up with a five for five day. He's back to three ninety two, which through sixty games is the third highest. I don't know since. But I know Chipper and Joe Maurer were higher with 400 plus averages. I think Maurer finished with 364 in his MVP season, and then Chipper towards the end of his career won a batting title. Finishing Tony, Tony might have done it too. The year 394. Was, yeah, but that was that was to finish the season, um, and that was during the strike year too. So there was a chance that it could have gotten higher than that. But I think at some point he was probably higher than that. But yeah, I mean, what he's doing is phenomenal. I mean, we played against them last week and he's just such a pesky hitter like the the average is amazing but the thing that really stands out to me is the lack of strikeouts like we we were sitting here last week and he's had 10 strikeouts all season like that is absolutely absurd Mm -hmm. especially in this day and age when pitchers are filthy there's so many great guys out there um it's it's pretty phenomenal he's just he will not get struck out but doesn't he that so easily doesn't that remind you a bit of the aforementioned late yeah. great hall of famer sure 100 lefty just goes with the pitch opposite field up the middle you know pulls it he, he could literally hit anywhere the only thing that you know same thing with tony was there's a lack of power there mm-hmm. um but a guy like him i don't think he's trying to hit the ball out of the park he's literally just trying to get on base every time I think a lot of guys, you know, if, if he were to change his swing and try to hit more home runs, I'm sure he can do it. But yeah, but it's, then you lose the then you lose the value of what he is. Unbelievable trade. Unbelievable both, both teams. Pablo Lopez good. has been good too. Yeah, but really, I would say like for what that Miami team was lacking, what they're built for with Soler, De La Cruz, like other guys in that lineup, you a lot of power guys in that lineup. And I think adding a guy like Arias at the top of the lineup who just gets on base, really aside from their pitching, which, you know, Al- Alcantara's been pretty bad. Terrible. 
terrible. I, I, I kind of, he was one of the guys and I don't want to take credit for this because I saw in a few articles that like, Hey, like, and that's what put me onto it. Like he might, you know, have a drop off uh, this year with the shift and he really benefited from it last year. But this is, this has been terrible with what we're seeing from the reigning Cy Young award winner, but that's been a really good deal for the Marlins. And honestly, this it's helped keep, keep them afloat. Uh, they have Yuri Perez, you know, who's the young phenom. Cabrera starting to turn it on. Garrett's starting to turn it on. I think you guys will see Braxton Garrett this week. You guys play the Marlins this week, or no? Am I tripping? Played them, play them last week. Okay, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you. I'm not did sure if we're gonna play them again or not. Um, but the interesting thing is, Nick, you bring up Arias being a lefty. Mm-hmm. That I think you know. Obviously, if you watch game to game, you know. You know, but if you just look at his numbers, you don't necessarily take into account. He won the batting title last year with a 316 average. Pretty paltry uh, if you consider winning a batting title with 316. Yeah. But he was, a le- again, a lefty. So the lack of shift for a Helps. guy who's a, a, a big contact hitter like that has been massive. It's, it's really helped, ele- I think, elevate his batting average uh, yeah. and, and make him more comfortable and less timid at the plate, even though he was a lot of. Good. A lot of the hits that he had against us were just hitting it where it was pitched, you know, just either going the opposite way or hitting it up the middle or just mm-hmm. finding the hole through the through the infield. Um, it's pretty phenomenal. I mean, look, we we said it earlier that you know you need quite the resume to to win the MVP. A lot of things have to go your way. Um, what's the threshold for you that he needs mm-hmm. to hit to win the NL MVP? In terms of average, because obviously he's not going to get his home run numbers that much further up. I and mean, he's got one home run this season. I mean, maybe he hits five, maybe it's 10. I, I don't even know if he can hit 10. The good question is average. It's a really good question for Arias to win the NL MVP. Let's assume right now the two the two guys Acuna is going Acuna, Acuna and Freeman. I would honestly say with the way Acuna is playing, it's pretty much a one horse race as it stands right now between those two. They have the same average. Uh, Cunha has more home runs, uh, almost as many RBIs. He's 26 stolen bases, and he has a, almost a full point higher and more. I would say at this rate, the Acuna he has rate, to go 400. Yeah, if the guy goes 400, you got to give him the MVP. It's ridiculous. <laughs> if the guy hits 400, he wins the MVP. That's no right. Is that threshold? If he's hitting like 395, 390, it's this right now. But and he. If it ends, if he like hits 390 the rest of the season and the Marlins make the playoffs, it's going to be close for me. And Acuna, though, would if Acuna does like 30 home runs and like 50 something steals, I'm going to have a tough time and continues to play good defense. And and he hits like it's not like Acuna is hitting two, 270, you know, he's it's also like hitting 30 right now. Yeah, he's, he's hitting 330. So if Acuna keeps it, if Acuna finishes like a three twenty something batting average and thirty home runs, like you know, you're like practically smiling at me. It's like a video game, like that guy. Like it's ridiculous, like for him to do that with a oh, with a with an OBP of four hundred plus. Yeah. Oh, actually, both guys though. What's a is Arias ahead of uh, your boy in OBP? He is I think so. The OBP king is He's right him. now is. Uh, I would like to see Soto kick it up just a little tad, just you know, just. A, but yeah. the OBP king right now, there's four, there's eight guys. Are you looking at it, or can I? Can you guess? Uh, Arias, Soto above four hundred. Sorry, Arias and Soto. I know for yeah. sure they are because Soto has a higher OBP 
than Austin Nola, our catcher's OPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, Acuna, right? Yep, correct. Um, is Freeman on there too? Correct, number seven. Okay. You're missing. Uh, this is all, all baseball, yeah? All of baseball. Judge? Correct. Uh, my five so far? You're missing number three, number five, and number eight. Um, Bo Bichette? No. Bo Bichette no. is not even in the top 20. Uh, he's just a hits guy. Um, AL and L. That's weird. How is he not in the top? Where's one second? Uh, one. No, he's not. Bo, uh, one, two guys are in the AL East. One guy is in the NL West. NL West. Hmm. Corbin Carroll. Very fun guess. He's actually in his rookie campaign in the top 20. He will probably be an all-star and win rookie of the year. Not top 10. Not sorry, not above 400 and not top 10. Hmm. Paul Goldschmidt is number nine with 396 tied with Macho Man. Uh, and uh, the 396 in a Rose Arena is and is right behind them. Okay, so two AL. Okay, so AL East. Uh, man, is Wander Franco one of them? Great guess. No, but he one of his teammates is. Uh, it's not Randy. Not Randy. Not Franco. Y- Yandy Diaz. Correct. Wow. Yandy Diaz is having an unbelievable season. He is. All star caliber. Yeah. Great. All right. You're two away, dude. I, you got these. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Cough it out. Cough it out. You've been a warrior in this show. It's, it's been a tough week. It's, it's, yeah, been a, you've been a warrior in this episode. It's not It's not gone unnoticed. Uh, is one of them a Dodger? One of them is not a Dodger. Okay. You said it's the I'm trying to think in the, the NL West. Like, who Run could it be? The team. The teams, uh, Rockies, but I mean, like, I don't know if no one on there, nope. Giants, no one yep. on there, Giants, and the Giants. I don't know. Lamonte Wade, Lamonte Wade. Oh, I saw. Yeah, you know, what? I did see that. He's been a beast. Yep, they've been Lamonte. kind. Of, they've been like sneaky, like not terrible. Yeah, I mean, they're better than us right now. Uh, and the last one, number eight, is on is in the AL East, not on the Red Sox, not on the Yankees, not on the Rays, not on the Blue Jays, but on the Orioles. Santander? Hayes? No, Mullins. Cedric Mullins. No? I don't know. Plays catcher. Who's their catcher? Adley Ruxman. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Swine flu, swine flu. Uh, he's how about that out of him? Pretty impressive, honestly. Very, very, very. He's played 58 games too. Very impressive for the young catcher. Um, and then Sean Murphy also up there. He's been awesome. And then Brandon Nimbo, who received a massive contract for getting on base, is, is in the mix. Alvarez and Ryan, Ryan Noda of the A's. Guy to watch to be traded for. His batting average is 234, but he's top 20 in OBP. Fun facts to close the day. Uh, well, I, I believe. Oh, shout out to Liam Hendricks. Wild, Wild how sports works. 
won a game. He was the winning pitcher on National Cancer Survivor Day. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then Albert Pujols joining made the booth, debut. made his day, made his booth debut. He's going to be working with the commissioner. Um, very, very interesting. Not a, not a turn I honestly expected from the machine. I anticipated him. I anticipated him to kind of go into a more quiet, more like reserved, like you know, wave when you get there. But no, he's looks to be fully in the mix. Yeah, money talks, and he he's a guy that has certainly answered to money uh, a number of times yeah. in, in his career, to say the least. But it's good to see. But you know what? You can't complain. It's really good to see. Uh, not only for our you know childhood fanhood, a guy that we're so familiar with, stick with the game, but for the Latin players, uh, yeah. a really good connection, right? Another guy in the mix to to be a part of the broadcast booth and, and part Definitely. of the commissioner's booth. Yeah, um, great stuff. Thanks for joining us, fans out there. Drag both feet inbound, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they free and your free throws. Why, Nick? Because they free. Because they are free. We out ya. We love ya so damn much. It's almost 11 11 where we're recording, so go make a wish. Peace out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.